Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast. My name is Mike Anderson, and today we're going to be talking about turkey hunting, and in specific, turkey calling strategy. Now this is the time to get those turkey calls out, get them conditioned, and uh, definitely start practicing. You don't want to be taking those calls out and the first time you're blowing on them is in the field. So today we're going to be joined by Ben Fleischecker, who is our Shields Outfitters product developer, and also Scott Wilhelm of the Shields Eau Claire store. Ben, it's good to have you back on here. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate being back. Yeah, and uh, before we get Scott on the line, we want to give a little fun fact about him. Scott is a champion turkey caller and has actually been on the David Letterman show on two separate occasions. Scott, good to have you with us. Thanks for the invite. I appreciate it. Yeah, can you uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you developed a passion for turkey hunting? Yeah, I guess I've been here at Shields for 18 years. I've hunted turkeys longer. Um, I don't know how I really got into the turkey calling thing. It's kind of divine intervention, I guess. I actually, when I started at Shields, there was like a, a thing for a local turkey banquet, and I, I went to it, won my first contest. The rest is history. Very nice. So I got to know, what is it like to be on the David Letterman show? It was pretty cool experience. Um, just like a random morning, they called me like, hey, are you uh, able to be on the Letterman show tomorrow at nine? And I was like, you know, I got to work noon to close. I got to ask you if I can get off work. And Lena to say they let me go and do it. It was enough of New York City for me to see, I guess, being a country boy and a hunter. I'll, uh, I'll take it on a, a one or two day trip and that's enough for me, but it was a really cool experience. Yeah, I bet. And, and I'd have to say, I've never been to New York, but I think, I think a couple of days would be enough for me to a little sidewalks, pizza, cement. I don't remember. That's about, it's a good recap of it. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, so, uh, how did you learn how to develop the Turkey gobble? Ah, uh, you know, I guess I always, uh, apparently my parents tell me that I imitated a lot of animal noises. And I love turkey hunting. I was fascinated by calls and vocalizations of them. And I just, I guess I practiced doing it. I had a buddy that could do it and I practiced and it just kind of developed into a, a pretty neat little niche talent. Mm-hmm. Do you, uh, do you have your calls with you today? Well, I, I can, I can do it with, uh, I do it either by my voice or a diaphragm call, either one. Would you like to hear it? Absolutely. I, I'd actually like to hear it both ways. Sure, sure. So just with my regular voice. And then when I add a call, it adds quite a bit of more rasp to it. So. That's that. That's wild. That's, that's super cool. It's a gobble. Oh, so what's, what sort of situations like infield hunting now that, that you're going to use a gobble versus, versus a hand vocalization? 
you know, I definitely will use a the hen vocalizations more frequently to bring a gobbler in. But there's times, I mean, for years and years, people have been using a Jake or a Tom, you know, a half strut, full strut Tom decoy with success. I mean, if it looks like a turkey, why can't it sound like a turkey? I have had a lot of success using the gobble. Obviously, safety in mind, right? That's what the spring turkey season revolves around is shooting a, a bearded gobbler or jake so with caution with some safety in mind but i use it when they're hung up um i just i really don't feel you know discouraged to ever try it because i almost always will have a jake or a tom decoy out anyways along with my hen or hens and i have confidence to use it more than i think people would often think that guy would use a gobble in the hunt in the spring hunt Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. So how about you, Ben? How often are you, you using a, a gobble in hunting situations? You know, to echo Scott on that, it's, it's definitely one of those things, you know, um, it's not necessarily an ace in the pocket, but at the same time, it's just something different. You're hunting pressured birds. They're used to hearing the yelps or you're used to hearing the clucks. You throw in a couple gobbles in there. Now, I'm definitely not as talented as what a Scott is with that. You know, I've got a gobble. I can do with my mouth, but it does not sound like a turkey, and it's more to get a shot gobble response. I've got some video of, you know, getting Tom's or Jake's to gobble at it, but it's it's just because it's a shot gobble. You know, it's not because it's actually good. So, But I cheat, and I use uh, the gobble calls, mm-hmm. you know, the shaker calls. Uh, I've got it's a couple of my best. I won't judge you. Oh, yeah, yeah. I appreciate it, Yeah, no, no judgment it. here. <laughs> but, yeah, no, I, I do like throwing it in the mix. I mean, there's times that we've killed birds just with a gobble call. You know, with no hand calls. I mean, it's turkeys, yeah. depending on the time of the year. I mean, you know, I've got a turkey rut that I kind of wouldn't call the window of late April, early May, you know, in most parts of the, the central Great Plains. I mean, it's, it's one of those times that you cannot do any wrong, you know, so you can just gobble and you can gobble in birds. Yeah. Another time it's been really effective for me is in the later part of the season, their, their hormones change. They're not as interested as breeding is just kind of getting back to their you know, bachelor groups of yep. all, of all toms. And I've especially had some success later in the season doing it when they just, they want to get back together with their buddies and mm-hmm. works really well. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, gobble call is going to be next on my list of things to get because um, more than one occasion I've had, I've had birds hung up and, and thought to myself, what do I need to do to get them closer? And uh, many times I've failed, but I'm, I've not had a gobble call with. So I think that, uh, that definitely needs to happen. Awesome card in your deck to add for sure for yeah. anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the more you have to throw at throw at those turkeys, the you know the better your chances are of success. You just never know what sort of mentality that bird has that day. So just having having multiple options in your pocket is gonna gonna just increase that opportunity for success. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Well, uh, I'd I'd like to go through the different types of calls and basically how you use them, certain applications, different different types of calling. So, uh, you know, let's start with uh, kind of the basics. You know, probably the easiest one to use is the box call. So do you have a, do you have a box call handy? Yep, I do. Okay, perfect. As long as I guess I wasn't uh, expecting to have video with the, with the audio, so it's actually good. It's easier to explain and teach a few tips and tricks that I use for running, whether it's a pot call or box call. But uh, this is just a a simple double-sided short box call here. And I guess what I like to do to uh, a couple tips to get a little more out of playing it is I like to slide the paddle. Basically when you're opening it, it's kind of a silent, you're sliding it open. 
and then just shutting it. A lot of people want to tend to lift it up and, and kind of get choppy with it. I mean, I can play with just two fingers on the top and They're good for a lot of things, mainly yelping, white on cackles, cutting. They're not the best for clucking and purring. Um, you can gobble on a box call. They're definitely versatile, not as versatile as some of the other types, but super easy to get that yelping rhythm for a beginner. Um, and then just for windy days, you want to reach way out, open country maybe. Um, they're a great tool for certain situations. Okay. So you said you can gobble on a box call? Yeah. I'll, let's see it. I can, I've never right. tried gobbling on a box call. Well, you just going to kind of hold down pressure and I'm going to wiggle my hands like that. So. Okay. I've, I have a box call too. Let's see if I can figure this out. <laughs> yeah, that one is, is going to take some practice, but like, can, can you show that motion again and like where you're holding yeah. your fingers? So I'm trying to get a little closer to the camera here. So it's just doing this and then just sort of wiggling back and forth. So. Another thing you can do is actually wrap it with a rubber band and kind of keep that tension. Okay. So that way it's a little bit easier. Yeah, I mean, a Scott's lot. a, not saying Scott's a cheater by any means, but he's been doing this for 20 plus years. <laughs> and, you know, he's an expert at this and versus you the first time you're gobbling. Yeah. Easier way to do that is put a rubber band on it. Yeah, you I mean, you turn it upside down. Here and use it the weight of the box itself. Okay. It. So it's, and some, some calls will work better than others. Obviously there's yeah. little design differences between all the calls, but. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Very cool. Um, what, so what other sort of vocalizations are you, are you doing with the box? So you're doing your yelps and you're doing your cuts and, and yep. what I else? I just want me to do an example of a cut and the fly down cackle quick. So yeah, yeah. Like. Especially fly down cackle. I, I don't know a fly down yep. cackle either. So yep. I'm just going to learn cool. a ton during this podcast. That's why I brought <laughs> right. my calls with. I feel like I've got guys that have killed like 500 birds combined. How many, how many, uh, uh harvests have you been a part of? Oh, geez. A part of that's probably a bigger number than like, I guess that I've actually pulled the trigger on. I, I would over a hundred easily. I mean, between myself and then just, you know, I, I love going out with people Collins for whether it's a kid or first time, anybody just going out and being part of it. It's a lot of people say it's more fun taking somebody. I don't want to be, I don't want to lie. You know, I love pulling the trigger. I love taking the, the meat home and cooking it up, but it's a, darn close second when you're taking someone else out and watching them shoot one. Oh, I'll agree with that a hundred percent. You know, like I, I started taking my five-year-old daughter out last year yeah. and oh, she just ate it up. She was, it was behind my, behind my parents' place. Like I did, she brought her little teddy bear out there and, and yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah we had a, we had a hand fly down right in front of us. And I'm like, Mia, look, and she peeks out and the, and the hands like maybe 10 yards away, just like, pecking around and your eyes just like were like saucers and then yeah. um you know my, my parents had been watching this group of birds for the longest time there they got a food plot right behind their house and can literally like 
see the roost trees. So they watch them every day. They call me like, yep, turkeys are out strutting again today. You should have been here. So finally took advantage of that, brought my daughter out and, and sure enough, those birds came right into the decoys. And I had, I had the first one just charge right at it. And I was trying to get it on camera too. So like not the easiest thing in the world, self-filming a turkey hunt with a, with a five-year-old kid in the blind too. <laughs> so yeah, that's, uh, that's a lot going on. Yeah. That, uh, that first turkey came through, like I could have shot it, but I couldn't get it on camera. And then the next few came through and they ended up like skirting a little bit. And I, I rushed a shot, whiffed it, don't really want to talk about that, but you know, overall it was really fun. <laughs> awesome. It was always have to end with the punch tag, I guess, and have a good day. So mm-hmm. yeah, get a hunt again. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Um, so back to, what did you say? A fly down cackle? Yep. Okay. Yep, just, I guess it's, uh, again, it's one of the few vocalizations where a box call really is one of the best tools or just one of the vocalizations that works best on a box call. So this is the way I do a fly down cackle. A lot of times I will take my thumb and use as a spring like this. Okay. And that's, I'm just doing some clucks there, but I'm putting a little bit of pressure down on my thumb and then I'm just going to tap that rhythm out and again, use it as a spring. So here it is. The fly down cackle, of course, is when that hen is up in the tree and it basically, I look at it like they're just freaking out every day. They flew up there, they spent all night and they're like, oh man, I got to do this again. I got to come out of the tree. Just So here it is. Okay. I think I could do that one. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, I had a, I, I had my thumb a little too far down into the call, but it's okay. So, um, I mean, is that the same way you do a cut on a box call too, or do you yep, do that differently? It's basically just changing. It's. I mean, I can cut while holding the paddle, and you know, I don't want to blow the audio out of this, but you can cut that way, or again, the same way like you're doing that. You're just changing the cadence instead of that. I look at uh, the flight on CAC almost like a stair steps. So you got the landing at the top, kind of pop, 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 and then going down, pop, 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 where cutting is kind of all over, almost to use another analogy like popcorn popping. It starts out pop, 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 pop. So cutting on with that same technique. Okay, and do, do you like to mix in Yelps with your cutting too, or do you kind of keep sure. them separate? Yep, I, I don't think it hurts. There's often turkeys will do some aggressive yelping while they're cutting. They'll take a breath, yelp a little bit, start cutting again. It's kind of all over the board. Okay, so what uh, what situations in the field are you cutting and when you're definitely not cutting? Um, I always refer to, I call it taking the temperature of the bird. Right. If I start out soft and subtle calling, whatever the vocalizations might be, and he's, you know, nothing, call it a more nothing. He's just not a real hot fired up bird. So I'll be more subtle, probably won't cut to that bird. Um, on the flip side of that coin, when they're really fired up and just eating up triple, double gobble into everything, it's probably the most fun hunt, right? You're just going to be able to call more, get more response. And that's when I get more aggressive and Cutting is definitely the most aggressive hen vocalization. There's not really a true mating call of a hen 
the only really true mating call in a perfect turkey world. They gobble, the hens run over, you know, stuff happens. Um, cutting is the closest thing there is to the mating call of a, of a turkey. And it's just, they're very excited. They're getting really sassy. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. I mean, we, we can, we can imitate the vocalizations, but we can't really imitate a hen running over to the Tom, you know, we, That's we want trick. them to come to us. Haven't quite figured that out. You know, it's if somebody the, can yeah. figure that out, you know, you're doing well. It's I like mean, any species, right. Of when, when they're in love, they make some poor decisions. And, and unfortunately for a turkey, it gets some shots. <laughs> if you're hunting, maybe missed, you know? Yep. Oh, that's great. That's great. So, um, you know, any other tips or advice on the box call before we move to a uh, slate? Uh, just, uh, you know, always have some chalk and then keep an eye on the paddle. Like this is a, I literally grabbed this off of the floor, but you can kind of see it starting to maybe slick up a little bit where it's shiny there. Not as shiny as my forehead in this camera. That's, that hurts my <laughs> eyes. Um, just, you can take a little Brillo pad, like this came with a slate call. I'm going to play in a little bit. Maybe, um, you can scuff it up and then just rechalk it. They're pretty easy to maintain. Um, something like hunting wise is maybe, you know, there's different box call holders that will keep it silent, but maybe run like a little hairband or something up under here, just so you're not walking around making a, an inopportune time, making a noise when you don't want to. Yep. So just yep. a little bit of maintenance, keep it chalked. You just kind of got to go by feel when it's starting to skip or make a noise you need to rechalk it. Okay. Sounds great. Good advice. Um, yeah, let's, uh, let's move on to the slate call. I think we're going to have Ben cover this one. Yep. So on the, the slate or friction calls, you know, slates, the material, I know we got a camera set up here, uh, that will kind of show some of the surfaces as well. And I mean, there's a dime a dozen anymore. It seems like, I mean, you got copper, you got aluminum, you got glass, you got crystal, you got slate. Uh, there's different styles of friction calls. Uh, the most common ones are going to be these guys right here. This is a Cody, and then this is a, a Woodhaven as well. Uh, strikers as well. Uh, if they can show that, I can show that on the video as well. But there's many different types of wood. I mean, there's you start looking through some of the catalogs, and there's, I mean, any wood you can think of you can have in a striker. Now, the importance of this is the density of the wood, and it's going to make a different sound. So I've got three different styles here. Uh, this guy right here is a laminate from Woodhaven. Uh, the next thing I want to show here as well, this shows on the videos, is the tips. And so you've got a flare tip and you got your standard tips. They got chisel tips out there. They got tips that have actually been dipped in some sort of a material that adds for extra you know, grip on it. You can make your clucks a little bit sharper. Um, it's it's Ford Chevy Dodge in a lot of these. And it's, in my opinion as well, it's just kind of how you grew up hunting. You know, it's one of those deals. Uh, my Uncle John was the guy that got me into turkey hunting back in 99. Uh, was when I shot my first bird. And I had no idea what to do. You know, I had a box call. I still got the box call. It was a lynch. Um, man, I think it's, it's been with me many times. It's one of those deals, and I know we're going to go through uh, the turkey vest. It's something that I don't have with me, but in a guiding situation, I always have that. You know, if you got a new shooter out there, you got someone that wants to learn how to do it, um, a friction call is not difficult to learn. I have to say it's probably it's way easier than a freaking diaphragm call. I'll tell you that much. And I mean, you know, I yeah, can't wait. I, to hear, I think the whole turkey world will agree yeah, with you on that one. I can't wait to hear Scott sing on the the diaphragm calls. But a box call, in my opinion, you know, it's one of those deals. Even just with a duck calling or goose calling, you know, you only need to master a couple sequences or cadences, and then the rest is you know, it's all gravy. It's all adding you know to it. The gobble call, it's just something else, right? Be able to purr and cluck, and then do whatever type of calling you want to do on a, a friction call. It should, you don't need to do it necessarily, but it's going to help you. You know, so back on the tips, um, I'll demonstrate on each one of the calls, all three different types of strikers. It's going to be your most common. we got a walnut, we got a hickory, and we got a gray laminate. 
Uh, again, there's many different other styles of wood out there. And when you buy calls, typically they're always going to come with a striker, if not two strikers. Um, I will say you do get what you pay for, mm-hmm. you know, um, even with your box calls, you know, uh, what Scott was running there versus what you're running. They're two, they sound two different white types. They're not, it's not necessarily the same because you got a wet box, you know, it's a waterproof call yep. versus what Scott was running. It's just a standard call. Uh, neither one of these guys are really going to be that waterproof, but that's where, you know, you got your diaphragm call, you know, it's still tucked in your mouth. It's just there for, for assurance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, know? you, you touched on, like, you get what you pay for with these slate calls. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to 100% agree with you with that because, like, I personally, I bought the cheapest slate call I could find. Yep. And um, that is my number three one that goes out. Um, you know, I'll, st- I'll start with a box call. I'll move to a mouth call. I just don't have a lot of confidence mm-hmm. in my slate call. But then I started, you know, playing around with with yours there a little bit, and was like, okay, I can I can get pretty good pretty fast on on yep. one of these slate calls. You know, and it, and this isn't going to be a sales pitch by any means, but we are shields. But you know, it, you look at eighty dollar call, ninety dollar call. I mean, there's two hundred and fifty dollar calls out there. You know, friction calls. Like, why is that worth it? You know, there's always going to be that point of no return where your investment is just more of a nostalgic. You know, mm-hmm. it's a beautiful call. It's a, made by someone that's you know super famous making. It's fantastic, you can kill birds with it, but you know what, a $30 call will kill birds. But I'd rather take a $100 call, which is a big investment for most people, but you know what, that's this call I've had for, I can't even tell you how long, this call right here I've had, I mean, since early 2000s. You know, it's, it's to the point now where like, I've worked the slate down so much from my, you know, conditioning the, the front of it, that mm-hmm. like, she's, she's on her, her tail end of her life. And this yeah. thing's going in a freaking, you know, trophy case for me because <laughs> it's killed so many birds or been a part of so many birds can be killed but all right getting back to these guys so this right here is a legend glass um i'll start with the walnut here and uh how you're hitting the surface of this and i know we got the camera up above it's very very important so you don't want to grip it too tight why because you know you're going to be able to make sound you can redirect your sound you know you can i can turn it towards me when i'm sitting down and calling to make it softer mm-hmm. if i need to get super soft which there's very few times that you have to call that quiet to kill a bird because at that point that bird's yards with probably you know, within range yeah already. he's close enough mm-hmm. uh versus getting out loud i can hold it and cut my hand out it's just like a, a short reed goose call you know how your hand position is is very important the striker you know you see a lot of people that pick this up and they'll just pick it up and start grinding it down there's very few times you need to get that aggressive i mean so so aggressive that i've had to recondition some of my strikers you know just having people mess with them um this walnut for sure you can tell this big chunk ground down on it you know mm-hmm. why is that it's because they got too aggressive you don't need to get that that crazy on it and then how you're striking it you know uh, it's very similar to a chalkboard very similar to a dry erase board you never want to put your finger you don't want the oils on it yeah you know so depending on what type of trees you sit on i've actually had sap drip down on my calls before and if you look on this guy hard enough uh you'd be able to see some of the spots on it from sap dropping down very, very important. You want to treat this guy right here like the most fragile thing in the world, the surface. Obviously, you can recondition it, but in a hunting situation, you don't have time to sit there and be like, all right, hold on, turkey. <laughs> scratch, scratch, scratch. You know, let me recon. Okay, okay, yep, we're good. You know, be careful blowing on it too because you don't want to blow your spit yeah, on you it. Yeah, you get that moisture on there. Yeah. So how you're striking it, my, I got a broken finger here, so it looks a little goofy, but um, <laughs> on the back of a box, they'll usually they'll have some demonstrations, a J, straight line depending on here you know again it's one of those deals it's how you learn how to do it so for me you know i do kind of a c so i drag it towards me 
And so I always like to see on anybody who's really good and who's better than me at calling, I want to see how they're striking that surface. Like, I'm, I'm interested in how they sound, but I already know they're good. I want to see what their lines look like. Mm-hmm. You know, you take a look at some of the, the top-notch callers, and you see, you know, where their scratch marks are, and like, oh, okay, that's how I need to do that. You know, so that's how you can learn. But it's very, very simple, and I'm not putting that much pressure on it. If you can see on my hand, there's not that much pressure. Now I can get aggressive. You see how she's kind of not really catching as well as I need to on the edge of the call versus the center of the call. You're going to get different sounds. Yep, you can tell there's different pitches yep. depending on where the location you're, you're scratching. Yep, hickory. So one thing I like to do too, and I was trying to do it before I sat down here, is I like to take my tips. So I carry just a diaphragm call case in here. Scott even showed us too that one of the calls, it came with a surface saver. Yep. Or not surface saver, sorry. Kind of like a Brillo pad, and it's got some more aggressive. Uh, paper and then I've also got something super aggressive for like the glass and crystal calls but I like to take this before I'm hunting and just get in there and just kind of freshen that up a little bit get any of that junk mixed off depending I'll take some emery cloth as well and recondition that tip so that way you're not sitting there in a hunting situation and you have that slip now it didn't do it for me of course but let's take a look at the gray laminate this is a flare tip on this flare tip right here um, it's very forgiving you can sound really, really good. You can sound really, really bad, but you're still going to sound pretty good with the flare tip. Uh, it's mm-hmm. just the way the tips are. And I can take the angle and make it steeper. See how it's, it sounded pretty close and mm-hmm. didn't make a difference? Well, you're doing that on a standard tip, it's going to sound a lot different. And so the flare tips are great. Big fan of them. The density of this diamond wood is very, very dense. So you get a crisper sound, in my opinion. Jump over here. This is Slate. It's a Woodhaven. Sorry, Cody. Got dog hair on there. <laughs> so center, outside edge. Depending, I mean, we even talked about it with Scott, you know, with that bird, if they're hung up, kind of reading the birds, just like waterfowl again, you know, you're reading the tips of the birds, calling to the tips. As you're working them, they're coming in committed, you don't need to keep calling. Yep. You know, I'm not against doing some small purrs, maybe some short clucks, you know, a content, I call it a cl- content cluck purr. So it's a purr first. So it's just sitting there, sitting there pecking around, feeding everything else. You got your decoy spread. You got upright hens. You got feeder hens. You got a lay down hen with a Jake or a Tom, whatever it is. It's just I'm trying to calm the mood. You know, I like to get them really fired up. I'm a very aggressive turkey caller at, at first, you know, which is kind of polar opposite, but I can read that bird pretty quick. And then once I see that they're not aggressive, they're not responding to that, total different game change versus majority of turkeys, 80% of the turkeys we work. They're, they're aggressive. They're coming in. You can get aggressive on that call. You can cluck and purr and, you know, really get aggressive on them, and they're coming. Mm-hmm. That 20%, those are the birds that people are, you know, that bird hung up on me. I couldn't kill that bird. Well, that's where you start pulling out. Okay, I'm going to pull out this card. Okay, that didn't work. Okay, I'm going to pull out this card. Okay, that didn't work. What can I do? Sometimes, I mean, I can't tell you how many times we kill birds just taking the snooze. You know, like, hey, we got two hours before these birds should be coming back. I'm going to take a nap, and you wake up, and you're waking up to 
the sound of turkeys fighting decoys, you know, <laughs> a plastic banging around. So again, the same thing with waterfowl, right? I mean, how many birds get shot every, every year just with no calling? You know, mm-hmm. you let your spread do the work. Well, yeah, I mean, you always get birds coming in when you're, when you're pulling up your setup. Oh, I mean, yeah. It's just guaranteed. Yeah. Uh, it's time to quit. I can't <laughs> tell you how many birds I've personally killed on my own tags of, you know, sitting here, okay, it didn't work out. That bird flew down behind me and just went silent, haven't heard anything since. I've done some, you know, every once in a while I'll do it. Five, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, I'll start calling a little bit, just keep the attention because they do come in quiet, you know. And all of a sudden you're picking up your stuff and you look up, you're like, oh, don't move, you know, so it does happen. All right, perfect. So how many different vocalizations are you doing on that slate call? You know, um, the nice thing about turkeys is that they all sound different. Mm-hmm. You know, there's times that like I've made fun of people because I'm like, that is the world's worst turkey call I've ever heard to find out it was an actual turkey, <laughs> you know, but for me, it's very, very, very simple. You know, you got your, you know, you fly down cackles. You know, you can do that. Can, can you hand me that other one so I can try oh, along I'll with you? you yeah, give me whichever one's the easiest. <laughs> give you a slate. Okay. It's not saying that crystal's any harder. It's just a different pitch. Different pitch. Yep. Gotcha. Or you want to try the flare tip? Yeah, I've, I've never used a flare tip before. I'm curious yep. to see how this one is. Okay, so again, up here, put out the palm of your hand without the call. I'm going to show you pressure. Yeah, do you mind if I... Uh... Jump in. Yeah, and go for step. it. Yeah, absolutely. Like, well, I know we talked about like the the gobbling stuff, but just for the record, I guess I I was the 2011 National Friction Division champion as well on on pot calls, and I got whether it's now or in a little bit, I have like just a little simple rundown when I do seminars and stuff like like a little four step program like to get the most out of a pot call. Yeah, I think we should listen. Perfect. Have at it. Yeah. So, okay. I, I just, I mean, I, I just, I, I got to say this, right? <laughs> no, well, hey, you're on here. If, if you have something good to say, have at it. Yeah. And you actually like touched on everything. I just break it down like quick and concise and can go back. But the first thing I always do is elevate it again, like you said, to not dampen your acoustics. It's an instrument, right? Acoustic instrument, basically. So elevate. Next thing I do is anchor. I take the meaty part of my hand here. I anchored on the on the side of the call just to give more control. Not that it's wrong. Again, you can kill turkeys by floating your hand around, but elevate, anchor, and then maintain contact. So a lot of times people want to lift up. I guess it can kind of look there. They want to lift up and down. You know, so I'm just drawing that J shape, that eyeball shape, like this, and resetting. Never lifting it off. So drag it. Yep. Anchor, maintain contact, and then the last little, like the fourth little tidbit, is calling the top half of the call. And this is mainly referring to the Yelp. And the Yelp is high to low. You touched on this really good too. It's it's high on the edge and it's lower in the middle. So building your Yelp and it sounds dumb, right? It's a circle. So you guys may have trouble knowing which way is the top half, but ah, that's a joke. You get it. <laughs> um, you just it's high to low. So the edge to the center. That's building your Yelp in. That's nice. it. That's my four-step program for, I guess, using a, a pot call more efficiently. So. Yeah. Okay, and what what was that one where you did, like, the purr to, like, the little cut at the end? Oh, okay. it? so it's just you're, you're gently dragging. And then what I end up doing, I don't know if it shows on here, and I don't know if Scott can see it at all, but mm-hmm. so it's it's like a G is what I'm doing. Nope. <laughs> 
Oh, okay. Mm, that makes sense. Not bad. I never really first thought. Time, I yeah. Well, I mean, I, I played around with it, but uh, not just, that sequence. I, yeah, not that sequence, anyways. Yep. So it, it's good. Yeah, that's uh, that's a good one to add to your arsenal. And then, what situation are you using that? Uh, for me, it's it's not knowing what's going on in the world. Like okay. if I'm set up on a tree or hugging a tree or in a brush pile or whatever else, and I know those birds are somewhere around me, but I don't want to move around. It's just, it's very content. It's not aggressive. It's very just smooth sailing. You know, it's, it's kind of like uh, just a really, you know, content cluck on okay. a news call. You know, just, bloop, bloop, you know, just, hey, everything's good. I'm feeding. Like, there's no worries. There's no concerns going on. I'm not getting aggressive because you can blow out birds, too. Mm-hmm. You yep. know, which is everybody learns at some point. And kind of going back to Scott's anchor point, too, is very important. That, I mean, it's easy for us because we, we've killed so many birds, we've called so much. But I've seen people put their palm on the actual surface, and that's going to change the whole pitch. Yeah. It's going to change everything. So going back to what Scott said is very important. Now, you know, all our hands are different. Pot sizes are different, you know, the size of the actual friction call. And so it may be down here. It may be up here. It could be anywhere. It's just very important. The surface of this, the only thing that should ever, ever, ever touch the surface of this is the actual striker. Okay, I really like that uh, that tip you gave about about the palm placement. Yep. You know, like I think that that's what uh, that's what didn't really give me a lot of confidence before is I didn't really know where to put my hands. But like if you if you really force it on there on the corner and like I noticed my the edge of my pinky kind of gravitated right to the corner too, and it just you have a solid lock on it there. Feels so good, yeah. um, second nature. You know, I pick one up and just start calling, do it in the dark, my eyes closed. But you know, yeah, yeah, that's the sort of stuff that, that beginners need to know. So, yep. yeah, yep. 100%. absolutely. Uh, last thing I want to do with the, with the slate call, um, since you have the camera up above yep. you, Ben, uh, I'd like to do a sequence where you're yelping to a cut. And, like, I just want to kind of watch exactly how yep. that goes. Yeah, maybe even get Scott. We can talk to each other. I, I can talk. I can talk dirty, I guess. (laughs) Easy now. We don't need to get anybody too excited out here. That's true. (laughs) Yep. So, the clocks are just, you're keeping that angle. And Scott can show it too. You're keeping that angle of the, the pitch, you know, the if you're too flat on that surface and you're trying to do a cut, this doesn't sound as good. Keep that a little bit steeper, but not too steep, and that's where you start, you know, grinding the edges of your, your striker. But. Okay. You can get really loud on these guys. That's one thing I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know. My two cents on just a, a pot style friction call in general, I think they're one of the most versatile calls for the, the diversity of vocalizations they'll do. And I can run down really quick all the sounds I can do on one here. Um, and then also for their volume, you know, a box call is not good for close in, like talk, finishing off a bird. It's good for long distance, windy days, whatever. It's a pot call is so versatile for super loud if you want and super quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, the, the versatility of the vocalizations, like here's, you know, the cluck and purr. And I would use, I'd prefer a slate call, a slate surface for maybe the really quiet stuff. But Absolutely. just for the ease, I mean, you know, here's a, 
Fucking poo. Lift your call up a little bit, Scott. Do that again. Yep. Lift your call up. Yep. We're dragging it. I can do uh, like a tree elk when they're up and before they fly down, they're making that. And I actually, I will kind of break my rule, I'll deaden it because it's a really just a nasally. Fly down cackle. Cutting. Clean yelp. Kiki, run. Um, can't really gobble on one, but just it's a super versatile. It's my favorite type of call. I mean, a lot mm -hmm. of people assume that a diaphragm is like once you've mastered that, put everything else away, right? It's just you've made it to this point. Forget about what the other stuff is. That's I use a diaphragm probably the least of everything. Just, it's not that I can run one fairly proficiently, but mm -hmm. it's just, I love, I love a pot call. And you box do so call. much. <laughs> Very Too cool. Much. Yeah. Hey, it's so I've never done a key key. How do you, how do you do that one? Yep. So the sound is the beginning of the sound, like where I, and you, I know you're saying where you can see, like call on a call. I don't know if you can kind of see where it's been scratched off yep. a little bit. Yep. In there. So the beginning of that call, that, that high pitch is a consistent sound. So instead of breaking, breaking the call over, it's hard to see here, going in from the top to the center, mm -hmm. I'm going straight across, obviously with the tip of the striker yeah, on here, but I'll be going beep, 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 pop, pop. okay? So it's... <laughs> that one's not easy. <laughs> This is the ace in the pocket call. Me of the, the usage of almost like a gobble, right? I mean, the key key of what it is, it's a lost young turkey. Okay. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of young turkeys in the spring, but mother hens have a maternal instinct, right? Mm -hmm. so yeah. They hear, the, the way I like to use it is one of those last-ditch effort things. There's a, Hens got my gobbler out there out of gun range, and, like, nothing's working. I gobble nothing, nothing. Let's try another card in deck, right? So a key key. Again, mm -hmm. it's just a natural instinct for that mother hen to be like, oh, there's one of my lost little babies over there. I better check. Mm -hmm. She brings yep. it with him. I've had it literally like a light switch work really effective in the spring. It's more associated in the fall, but it can definitely be a great mm -hmm. tool in the spring. Is, is it a type of call that's better in like the late spring versus the early, or does it not really matter? Right. It's, it doesn't really matter. It's again, it's not one I'll use very often, but if nothing else has worked and I got them with an eyesight out of range, that's when I'll, it's not going to hurt. It's a turkey vocalization. It's not like they're smart enough to say, this is only to be used mid September through November. You can't yeah. do that. Mm -hmm. I mean, it literally just goes into natural instincts, the maternal instinct, like, Hey, there's a lost turkey. I got to go and I got to go and see, check this out. Okay, perfect. I look forward to, to watching this again and trying it because nobody needs to see me try that on camera again. <laughs> but, I mean, that's just reality of, you know, a lot of people out there too, you know, yeah. from customer base. Yeah, that, that exactly. I, I really like this dynamic that we've got a couple of people that have, that have killed a lot, a lot, a lot of birds, done some championship calling, and me that, like, I turkey hunt, but, you know, I, I learned just enough in the turkey calling to – 
to be able to kill some birds. Yep. So that's that's basically the level where I'm at. I can I can do enough to to add into the repertoire, but I think it's uh, you know if someone's you know the basics, I would learn a Yelp, cluck and purr, maybe a little cutting. That's kind of in in priority maybe. And then if you want to add the goblin, you want to add the kiki, the fly down cackle. I mean, they look at that, a, a bird, a turkey flies down every day, right? They make the sound every day. So mm-hmm. to add it there, it's not going to, it's not going to hurt anything for sure. Okay. Perfect. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's move to the mouth or the diaphragm call. Scott, yeah. you want to handle this one? I can, I feel confident doing it. I can handle it. Um, I guess I got a couple different, you know, cuts on here. They obviously there's all different shapes and sizes. There's smaller frame, the little aluminum frame in there. There's smaller ones for youth or even adults with a smaller palette. Um, I just got a couple I grabbed from my <laughs> my nightstand. I didn't even read the email that said I needed this stuff. I just assumed, right? <laughs> um, here's what so I can kind of see that D wedge on there. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's called a ghost cut pretty versatile call and this one is a bat wing cut is the generic term for it mm-hmm. um they definitely sound different like this bat wing one here is going to be more raspy it's one i'll use to gobble with i'll just do a little demonstration of it and then i can touch on a couple tips on how i get some sound out of them so and hey scott before you get too deep in there uh yep. show the everybody the, the viewers here what direction is up versus yep. down on that diaphragm. It's so easy to take this for granted, right? Because your teeth go like this. One would think it goes in your mouth like this. It's the opposite. If this is the front of your palate here, it's going like that. And then the air is passing over. So mm-hmm. you want to seal off the air. It's got a pliable tape to it, right? smoother sound and then the, the bat wing here is gonna be a little more raspy do a gobble with that one there's some okay that's okay. just ridiculous how easy you <laughs> made that look i was like okay that's a vocalization i don't know that's another one that's another one so um you know let's just start this from like a beginner standpoint i've got a i've got a mouth call with me and you, you know i use it some i'm not i'm not wonderful at it so just let's try and teach me from the start so okay having the call you've you've talked about um placement and stuff how do you know if it's upside down or right side up not like the call the blowing perfectly, but like yeah, flipped. The longest reads, there's most all calls. There's some single ones, right? Wouldn't really probably matter, but they're going to be layered. So whatever hangs out the furthest, whatever's come on the furthest this way, that one's going to be on top. The longest read in this case, they're usually colored as well. Like there's clear latex or prophylactic on the bottom side, the top side, that one's got, in this case, it's gray. This one is red, right? Most of the time that is, it's color coded on purpose. Okay. And then, so I'm assuming the first one we want to learn is the Yelp, right? 
Yep. So the basically it's in, in you can't expect to just to pop it in and master it. It's probably the the steepest learning curve of any of the styles of call. I know we talked about an advantage to pot calls and box call, right? Mm-hmm. But the advantage is whether it's your shotgun or bull, whatever, it's hands free, right? It's very yep. versatile for volume, for vocalization. And I guess the only downside really would be just the I guess the learning curve. So but the, the plain yelp, it's high to low, right? So you got to start out and drop that off. And the way the back of the packages is a great way. There's all this stuff like, say, chalk or say, yawk. But if you just know what your sound you're going for of yelp to high to low, you make no matter how bad it is, I tell people that initial sound to be high, kind of your tongue will put pressure up to make it higher. And then if you drop your jaw, it'll help break that over. So I'll just do a, a terrible, right, a high to low, but... Right, doesn't sound like a yelp, but it builds that rhythm in that yelp. Okay, let me try this. Out. Ah, ah. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can pick up that high to low. It's, it's a little bit lower tone. There's nothing wrong with that. So how do, you, how do you go to a higher tone then? Well, I mean, part of it can be changing just a call, right? I mean, I don't mm-hmm. know what call you're in, and maybe it's not the best call for you. Maybe yeah. it is. Okay. But just more more tongue pressure, whatever you got to do to make that higher pitch. It's an elk. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah, we're talking elk bugles. <laughs> Cal, Cal calls. Yeah, I got I got a little confused with that high to low. You know, what I mean, like I, I use a diaphragm call, but like thinking about it through my head, it just didn't it didn't so quite make a lot of sense. Put it back in your mouth, and keep your pressure, and just blow. Don't try to yelp. Yeah, just e. There you go. Now e. Drop your jaw. Yep. Close. You literally yep. you speed that up and mm-hmm. turn it right into a good yelp. So, so how do you cut now? Cut is just kind of little staccato bursts of air. just. And I, I don't know if I'm saying anything, I guess, but I would say like kind of like a chuck, 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 chuck. So I get a lot of squeaking in there and I don't understand how to like make it the pace that you do. How do you, how do you do that? Uh, Practice. <laughs> Practice. I, I think one thing too, like usually cutting is pretty like raspy and, and sharp. It, it literally is a different diaphragm call, right? Like I was talking pot calls. I may choose a slate for clucking and purring. I'm going to choose a crystal or glass call for cutting. Yep. With diaphragm, I'm going to choose a, a lot more raspy sound, whether it's raspy all the way around, right, for yelping, for everything. It makes a better call to cut with. And what you got in your hand there may just simply not be a good call to, to cut with. So just from a, you know, a purchasing perspective for a hunter, is, you know, try some different mouth calls. You don't need to buy one of everything on the shelf, but, yep. you know, 
ask, you know, ask somebody like, Hey, which one's a good for raspy is, do you recommend something for that's easier to run for clucking and purring? There's, there's a lot of differences in them. And, and what you have, at least my sounding across here, sounds like it's maybe not the best one to, to cut with. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That Real makes, that makes sound, sense. So. And then, you know, going back to it and, you know, Scott, you know, made a good mention of, you don't have to buy every single call, right? Every single diaphragm on there. Well, we've got, you know, three or four different popular sizes and you can start to kind of fine tune it to what's, you know, going to be better for you. Batwing, mm-hmm. I think Batwing is, I don't know what's the most popular seller we have, you know, in the industry, yeah, but. I, I, these two are my favorite though, that Batwing for raspy and then for like, just a, my recommendation, that ghost cut, D-cut, yep. look like a shape, right? That one for clucking and purring, for yelping, for soft stuff, it's it's my favorite. It's a really versatile one when it comes to really raspy maybe like gobbling it's not the best choice but for almost all hen talk if i had to pick one it would be a ghost cut yep gotcha then buy a couple different brands too you know mm-hmm. i'm that guy that you know i buy a dozen every year no matter what and i figure out after blowing those okay which one do i like which one am i sounding the best with and then i'll start running with that one yeah yeah that's the beauty of the mouth calls is they're really not all that expensive not i mean really. you can buy they're getting a few yeah. yeah they're getting there but um okay so so you You've learned the Yelp, you've learned the cut. What's what's another vocalization you want to add to the vocabulary on the mouth calls? I think the cluck and purr is probably a, a very important one to learn. In this one, I think people struggle with this. And again, it doesn't have to be like tournament grade quality sound, right? If it just, every turkey sounds different. Um, but the way I, I do it, it's almost like when you're gonna fog up a mirror and draw something in the mirror, you're kind of huffing out, right? Just breathing out, you know, you're not putting a ton of air, just kind of relax mouth. And then if you can kind of flutter your tongue a little bit. So. Way easier said than done. Yeah. It is easier said than done, but. I'm, I'm not even gonna try this one cause I know that I'm not gonna be able to do it right away. And you know, and, and the cool thing about diaphragm is I can do a real soft purr. I can add clucks in there if I want to do some soft yelps. I mean, without, you know, switching to, from a slate to a glass. Again, it's it's super versatile. But here's a cluck and purr. So what are you, when you're doing that, uh, that purr, like what's going on with your tongue? How are you, how are you making that, that purring? I just, uh, I just relax in and kind of the end of my tongue, as I huff out, it's relaxed enough that the end of my tongue will flutter just a little bit. Okay. And then the edge of your tongue is like on the reed then it's like stopping yeah, it and it's, starting it's basically it basically like a baffle. I mean, it's just, it's just fluttering on the end of the call. Okay. Yep. That makes sense. Awesome. I've always struggled to teach people a diaphragm, right? Like with a pot call, I can literally go out, just touch your hand, be like, no, more of this angle, less pressure, right? I, it's, I just, I don't have the courage, at least as of yet, to start poking my fingers in someone's mouth and like more <laughs> or less, or less there. It's, it's, a, it's definitely the harder one to learn, but it's worth the effort. Yeah, sure. but it's, it's a great one to add to the to the arsenal, especially if you're a bow hunter, you know, if you need, if you need to have restricted movements or if you're, you're not in a ground blind, you know, it's a, it's a great one to learn. So you just can't be afraid to try it and just, um, you know, make sure you try it before you head out for your first hunt. That's for sure. There's a lot of good information out there on the internet, you know, 
There is a million YouTube videos. I may even have something floating around there from once upon, but it's, uh, it's probably the way to learn. I mean, a diaphragm call, you're going to find someone that their technique of how they explain it clicks with you. And Mm -hmm. and that's, that's what you got to roll with. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Any last, uh, tips or words of wisdom on the, on the diaphragm call? No, I guess, like I said, just, uh, practice makes perfect with it and you don't have to achieve perfection, but as a hands-free tool, like, you know, you're stuck with your gun up to your shoulder. And if you can, all you can do is make a couple of clocks for it to lift its head, you know, out of strut, maybe to get the shot. If you are full draw and bow hunting and you got to take another step around a tree and you can just do a half of a per, it's well worth the effort to, to add it in there. Mm-hmm. You know, one call that we don't have, and I just thought about it now is kind of going back to your example, Scott, when you got that gun up or the bow, not necessarily bow, but the shotgun up is the push call. You know, the push call has got a time and place in anybody's yep. arsenal. You know, it's not it's not something I necessarily run a gun with personally, but it's a great easy call for everybody to learn. You know, it's just a simple box and it's got, you know, essentially a striker in there. And it's kind of going back to the box call design of how that friction's hitting it. It's just push, you know, you can yelp, you can cluck. Yeah, you, know, you can kind of purr a little-ish purr yep. on it, but it's a great call. We sell them, we stock them. Um, I've got friends that use them. You know, they're great, yep. great calls. They're great for directional too. I yep. mean, you can stick your, literally reach around the tree and, and cluck and purr and yelp on it, whatever behind you, make it sound yep. like that walking away. It's another oh, yeah, one. That's, that's something I'd never really thought of there is, yep. uh, is directional calling there. It's a game. Mislabel is a straight up beginner call and it probably is the easiest of everything mm-hmm. to learn on, but it's definitely not, uh, not exclusive to just, just new, new hunters by any means. No, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that direction is definitely something to take account of because, you know, if, if a turkey's hung up, you know, making them think that you're going away or you're looking somewhere else, that can be that can be a super effective tactic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about how you're packing your stuff. You know, like you have all these different calls. You've got your mouth calls, you got your box calls, you got your many different slates. Um, ben, you brought your pack with, right? Yep, I brought one of the packs. Uh, you know, in the packs, the market seems to change. Kind of the direction is going, you know. And, um, you know, there's turkey vests out there that have got kickstands in them. You know, there's turkey vests out there that have got a fantastic, you know, memory foam, you know, butt pad to sit down and be comfortable. It all depends on what you want. Personally, I started running. I'm going to grab it here. I started running this old Tom last year. Um, and honestly it's one of my probably more favorite vests i've used um typically my my vest you know i run a ghillie suit a lot of times um which is great because we got a new ghillie suit coming out or leafy suit coming out this year in our west river verdant pattern which is going to be fantastic to have on the shelves uh but on this vest right here depending on what you want to do you know on this vest there's no you know uh raffia raffia grass or yarn or anything else on it and the reason why is that in this situation, when I'm running with this vest, it's more of, okay, I'm going to run a gun. You know, I'm not worried about sitting up. I'm not worried about reaping for a customer. I'm not worried about any of that stuff. It's just, it's comfortable. The, the rear seat um, has some opportunity for more comfort on it, but it's better than nothing, and it keeps your butt wet. You know, um, one dry, thing. Dry, mean? <laughs> yeah, dry, I should say, yeah. Um, excuse me. Yeah, <laughs> big difference. Yeah, right. Uh, this one does have magnets on it. Uh, some of them have buckles, you know. Again, mm-hmm. for Chevy Dodge, every vest is a little bit different. On this one, um, I can't say I personally enjoy the, the magnets over a buckle. There's drawbacks and pros and cons for each one of them. But in my vest, 
Uh, no matter what, they typically usually have a game pouch in it. Uh, the game pouch can be used for many different things. Um, I'll use, I'll put a, a full fan into it. You know, you kind of fold it up so that way for a starter deco, I can have it in here. Uh, you can't carry extra clothes, rain gear, whatever it might be, snacks, I like to eat. Uh, but yeah. most importantly in there, what I have is this waterproof bag with what do you think's in it? Toilet paper. You the man, Scott. Yes. <laughs> Why do I have that? <laughs> too many sleeves and socks. I know better than to not bring that. That is, I was yep. hoping you're going to mention the importance of that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's a big deal. Um, and I just recently moved to a waterproof bag. Uh, this is a Yukon Outfitters waterproof bag. It's just really small. Uh, before this, you know, it's a freezer bag, and it's wrapped in like five, you know, uh, grocery sacks. Mm-hmm. Just keep wrapping it. Why? Because you don't want this to get wet. Uh, another thing I have in here, and it's kind of all falling out, but I carry a, a pair of snips in there, prune, prune cutters. Uh, a lot of people use saws. They can use snips, whatever it might be. I always have a pocket knife usually with me. I just get tired of using a pocket knife. And so snips are always going to be the best thing to have, personally. Um, these, not saying you got to buy a high-end pair, but I've had, I've had them break on me before. And so I just kind of bit the bullet and just bought a, a decent pair. This is a pair of uh, Fiskars. Yeah, I don't care what brand it could be, but just you kind of get, get what you pay for there, too. Um, next, on how you actually set up the best is all up to you. I like this old Tom because, you know, I'm sure like Scott as well, you're just not going out to the, the woods or the field just with one call or one striker. I like the fact that I can have three different strikers. I wish I actually had another one because I like four different strikers because there's another striker wood that I do enjoy. Uh, this guy's got two setups right here for your pocket or your friction calls. Um, you know, I actually run four friction calls in my best, which again is a little excessive. But again, I mean, depending on the conditions, you know, you never know what you're getting into. You know, most of my tricky hunting is a destination trip somewhere, you know, to a different state, to a different area of the state. And it's, it's usually on a weekend. So guess what? You know, most of us guys are working Monday through Friday um, or it could be whatever day of the week it might be. But either way, that time you have off, that's your hunt. It could be snowing, it could be raining, it could be windy, it could be super calm, it could be, you know, the dew point super high, so everything's wet. You never know what you're going to get into. You know, we did, what we didn't talk about is like aluminum call. You know, that's becoming very popular. Ceramic calls too, but those aluminum calls are nice. Uh, this right here is a pocket actually for a box call. Um, again, for me personally, unless I'm guiding, I usually don't have a box call with me. This got a gobbler tube in it, um, and then... You know, that's it. I mean, it's, it's got some sleeves. Most of them always have a sleeve for a diaphragm call. Uh, personally, I would not use this. I'm a big fan of protecting my diaphragm calls. Um, you know, making sure that, and I'm sure Scott could probably touch what the, the shelf life is even too, you know, on a, a diaphragm call. You know, for me personally, I like to keep them clean. Um, you know, drinking soda makes them sticky too. You know, Scott, you want to touch on that a little bit? I guess yeah, we haven't. I, I usually, for maintenance, I mean, it's a lot of people end up buying every year new diaphragm calls. I can get years out of mine. I usually wash them just with some cold water and maybe rinse them just for a very short period of time in some mouthwash. I mean, the alcohol in there will break down the latex or prophylactic that the diaphragms are made of. Mm-hmm. Just a little bit and then re-rinse it with cold water and just kills the germs. I mean, I've seen some pretty gross stuff, yeah. Your midday hunt and eating a cheeseburger and then you throw a diaphragm call and put it back in the container and it's just you can imagine it can get pretty disgusting so got some funk yeah <laughs> take care of them clean them up yep the other thing i do on my vest is i try to this one's got a lot of pockets which i love pockets uh you got to train yourself on what's in each pocket though and so what will happen is you know you're whatever it might be this one might be empty right now yep uh 
something in here. Oh, yeah, another. Yeah, so here's a, a carbon striker, just something different. Not really used that much, but um, I like to have a face mask or a neck gaiter or something like that and gloves in like three or four different pockets. And the reason why is that when it's, you know, go time, like, oh, crap, you know, where did I put I don't want to. <laughs> you have better opportunity of hitting a pair of gloves. No matter what. <laughs> since I'm there's three of them in there. On the, yeah, the left side or the yeah, right well. side, I am going to find my gloves and my face mask or neck gaiter. Mm -hmm. uh, so what's your logic on which calls to put where? Uh, for me... So I've got, I use this one right here. It's not necessarily designed. It's a really tight fit for a pot or a friction call uh, to go on this pocket. It does work, but it's not user-friendly. This is the most user-friendly pocket on this vest, on this specific model. And so for me, um, I've always got, my go-to is typically a slate because, again, I've, I've blown out more turkeys than I have not called loud enough to turkeys, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. So I like to always start with the slate and then move to a crystal or glass, depending on the situation. So I've always got my slate call. It's the first one I know. Glass or crystal is the second one I know. So I can always grab that. And then same thing with my strikers. I usually start with the bottom because it's just closer to this because I can grab my striker and then also grab this without yeah, making too much movement. movement. Um, for me on the striker side, again, it kind of goes. I mean, it depends on the day. I mean, I can't say I've killed more birds with one striker versus the other one. But if I had to go anything with a slate call, the slate surface, I should say, I like a hick or sorry, um, a walnut. You know, I it's just what I like. The hickory's great. It's uh, the again the, the diamond wood's good. I mean, it's whatever you like the most, you know. But getting in here, I always have uh, this is another gobble call. I've always got another pocket knife in there, so that way there's times that you know you may be a mile and a half into a property, and the last thing you want to do is drag a turkey or carry a turkey, right? Mm -hmm. And so I can field dress a bird, you know, legally within the the state's requirements, and then carry my game pouch. And I'm you know it's 15 pounds less weight. And so I do like to always have a knife. Um, I always have extra shells. I got a 410 shell in here, and then I think just a three inch, just because three inch is more popular now than three and a half. Um, I always put my surface savers on my left hand side, or not surface, sorry, resurfacing conditioner. Uh, gloves, hat, you know, and here I've got just random stuff. And that guy, uh, there was one other thing I wanted to show you guys. But yes, the extra shells, and the reason why is that. I might, depending on what I'm doing, if I'm guiding, I'm, I'm shooting a three and a half inch. Because if I have to save that bird, you know, from running off and dying and having coyotes eat it versus the customer not getting his bird, I'll put that, you know, I'll help put that bird down. Mm -hmm. And so Makes I sense. always like to have extra shells. But on my turkey hunting gun, I've got one of those, uh, like, shell pouches that go on the stock, rear stock of the gun. So I'll load that up and I'll load my gun up and hopefully I never need, you know, more, more shells. But the nice thing is that if I have to give a customer another shell, I can rip this open and throw them a three inch knowing that the gun's going to shoot a three inch. Mm -hmm. You know, the 410 is just left over. Uh, uh, another thing I like to keep in there is I've had this happen to me too many times. Is you get out there and guess what you're missing out of your decoy bag or you <laughs> Steaks, forgot to grab. Yep. I always like to throw an extra stake in there. Uh, this one's nope. for an avian X decoy. And the worst case scenario, you just set it down. I mean, the only thing that really looks goofy when you sit down on the ground is going to be a feeder decoy. You know, we talked, I think, at one point in one of the podcasts um, about, you know, an upright hen and, you know, how the multipurpose, you can use that upright hen for a, an actual breeding hen. You know, you put it right in front of the Tom or Jake. It's not perfect, but you know what? It works. If not, I can throw a stake in the ground, get her up off the ground, get her up a little bit higher. I need to go back through my vest now. Another bag. I like bags. Um, 
did have somewhere in here. I always have an extra, yeah, here we go. It's uh, just simple dog leads. So this one's a little bit different. This came off a pack or something, but I like to use these. You kind of get them at the vet clinic. You know, it's just a simple slip lead. And the reason why is that carrying a bird, you know, you're switching, you're switching, you're switching. I can drag a bird by the head, you know. If I'm, if I, this bird's not getting mounted, whatever it might be, and I can just drag it, I'll always cut the beard off first, and I'll hook this on the head and drag it. Okay. It's just so much easier. Uh, you must yeah. shoot some big birds. <laughs> yeah. Dragging them like deer, holy but, cow. Yeah, well, you just can't see me sitting down. I'm only like five foot, so that's why. <laughs> um, uh, another nice thing, too, is take your uh, bread loaf bag with a rubber band. You can put that over the bird's head with a rubber band on it, carry it over your shoulders. That way, when you get back to the pickup, the back of your legs aren't all covered in blood. It's an easy way, too, or a plastic bag. Anything can work like that. But mm -hmm. um, in general, this vest right now is set up for me to go hunt, not necessarily have to guide out of. Uh, everything's a little bit different for each situation. Uh, the nice thing about it, though, is there's so many different vest op options out there. We do have a Shields Outfitter vest as well. Uh, that one's not brought with us today right now. Uh, that vest is a fantastic vest for early season. Or if you're if you're running and gunning, the most important thing is you got to stay cool. Mm -hmm. You know, in the mornings, it's always cold. Later in the day, it heats up. Well, if you're running and gunning with a full vest on, you're going to get too hot. You know, so that's why I like this vest uh, for my situation, my style of hunting. If I'm just going, I know that you know for your parents' house, perfect example. You know where you're going to go set up. You know where you can park at. It's only a couple hundred yard walk, probably. The Shields Outfitter vest we have is. There's nothing better out there, in my opinion, for it. Because it's got so much camo on it, you don't have to worry about being, you know, head-to-toe camo. It's got a ton on there. The seat cushion's very, very thick. It's a big seat cushion, too, so you don't have to be sitting on it. Mm -hmm. You see this guy, it's pretty small, you know. You got a guy like uh, a bigger gentleman, they're going to struggle getting comfortable on this smaller seat because it's so small. You know, so the back, this one's got a foam pad in it. Some of them have that as well. Again, there's kickstand-style vests out there, but... In general, for me, I always have an extra pair of gloves, extra hat, extra face gaiter, neck gaiter, whatever it might be. Um, I got gobble call, quick quick access. I got another gobble call in here. It sounds more like a Jake. This guy sounds more like a Tom. There's a time, in, in my opinion, to be a dominant Tom versus being a submissive Jake. Um, yeah, I mean, Ford Chevy Dodge, it's a nice thing about hunting is that yep. there's so many different tactics that work, so many different opinions that work. Mm -hmm. The most important thing is to just figure out your application and yep. then, uh, you know, in advance, get your vest, get your calls, get yourself prepared, comfortable yep. with using all of them. And Absolutely. then, uh, you know, just enjoy being out there. Uh, yeah. Turkey hunting is just, it's fantastic. You yep. know, if you've never done it before, just being able to be out there in the spring, you know, been cooped up all winter. It's, it's magical out there. It really so, is. Um, it's green. Yep. Scott, what's your, what's your first hunt planned? Well, I did not draw a tag for Wisconsin. I got a preference point. I didn't know I was applying for a rare elk tag or something out West, but, um, I got, they sell surplus tags here in Wisconsin. So I'll buy one for third season. So right around early May for myself. And then I'll go out with some people. I'll probably try to take my daughter during the youth hunt this, this spring. If it's not terrible weather, she don't want the really cold. So, um, I hopefully the youth season, which will be in like early April. Okay. Very cool. Ben, how about you? It's a great question. I know Nebraska is on the docket. We've talked about potentially Minnesota. Um, I think that's probably going to be about it for me this year, to be honest with you. I'll do, I'll help out. I always do some youth hunts every year. You know, I'm sure like Scott does too. It helps out with those. Um, yep. 
there's some landowners that that's kind of part of the deal that, you know, I take their grandkids out or take their kids out and then I can start hunting personally there, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I can't wait. I mean, it's, it's TikTok's coming. Yeah. I'm excited too. It's kicking off here. What in a couple of weeks? Yeah. It ain't far. I I can't wait. Yeah. I just can't wait for green grass. Yeah. That will be nice. (laughs) I mean, we've been seeing like negative 25 degree temperatures here. It's like, it needs to happen. I yes. am. I am ready for spring. I don't. I don't know where I'm hunting yet, but I know I'm hunting somewhere like Hopefully North Dakota. I got probably a fifty-fifty shot of getting drawn. Um, mm-hmm. Results will come within the next few weeks. Uh, if I don't get drawn, my, my wife's got a preference point, so I'll I be caller and filmer for her in in Minnesota with with archery equipments over the counter. So mm-hmm. I'll probably be doing that. And I I love taking my my parents out. I love taking my dad out. It's it's so fun because like he's the one that got me into hunting and mm-hmm. and he never he never turkey hunted so he saw me kill a few birds and was like oh that looks like a lot of fun and just seeing seeing wow. his excitement you know turkey hunting for the first time it's it's super cool and I think it might try and get my mom into it too she's she kind of wants to join the party now after seeing after seeing a couple of these hunts awesome. Mm-hmm. So, man, we we have covered so much information here. It's been it's been really great to to hear all the vocalizations from some from some experts out there. I'm looking forward to uh, basically going back and learning all these different calls and, and cadences. I want to learn that kiki. I want to learn how to gobble. Just add it all to my arsenal. So, greatly appreciate uh, you know both of your time and your expertise on this one. Yep. Hey Scott, have you uh, with the diaphragm call? I'd mm-hmm. Not even to pick up mics he probably has COVID or something but, um he actually and i this is the, how i've gobbled on it and it does not sound remotely as good as what yours does but you actually put it on the front of your teeth and it's yeah. sticking out yep. can you demonstrate that i i i guess i could do it i suppose but it's kind of like a tube call like a snuff can tube call they call it yep. just a piece of latex on the outside um i didn't i don't have one of those calls with me right now but it can be done i mean it's just kind of That sounds terrible. Yep. I'll try it my way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we believe you're a good gobbler. <laughs> <laughs> oh, very cool. All right. Well, yeah, just just want to say again, thank you for your time. It's been it's been a great segment. Yeah. Appreciate you having us. I appreciate you having me on. It was awesome. Yep. Nice to finally meet you, Scott. Heard a lot about you. Good or bad? Positive. <laughs> Positive. That sounds like a real political answer. I like it. <laughs> Uh, All right. So, um, you know, hopefully all the listeners enjoy this segment. If they have any questions, you can reach out to the comments of this podcast or we've got, you know, Shields experts in every store like Scott ready to answer any of your questions. Very good. All right. And with that, I want to thank you all for listening and see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.